Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Get my head in gear. All right, so we're continuing our series uh, deeper, which is not only looking um, at what it is to go deeper in our relationship with God, with each other and ourselves, but what it is to go deeper in community and connection through what we um, have come up with or labelled as the discipleship pathway for the Horsham Church of Christ. It kind of feels a little bit awkward because we're trying to give something, some language and some steps to something that's actually quite fluid, that you don't actually just get in at one point and work your way through to the end over a six-month period or whatever the case might be. Um, But there is a pathway that um, can occur and we just want to be intentional, particularly about helping each and every person that becomes a part of the Horsham Church of Christ to actually go deeper in their relationship with him. That's, That's the ultimate goal. And then out of that um, becomes everything else that a person might do in the service to the Lord, whether that's in uh, the relationship to their own family, in their workplace, in serving the church, in the wider community. So, um, Thomas, if you can go to the circle graphic, please, mate. Um, you'll see that we have we've moved, we've, Simon's explored community and committed and uh, through to covenant, which is um, the broad range of people and today we're going to be looking at core in particular leadership and what it is to be a leader um, for Jesus not only in the church but what it means to actually lead as disciples of Jesus Christ practically speaking our core is made up of anybody uh, in a leadership position or a ministry oversight position for the Horsham Church of Christ so that's our senior leadership team that's our elders that's anybody that leads a ministry such as crafty friends or mainly music that's our life group leaders uh, and that's our worship leaders so that's kind of in a nutshell that's who makes up the core the the overarching leadership of the church community now, Simon, uh, as we've gone through this, the, the nutshell scripture that we've been leaning into, the one that kind of sums up why we do what we do and who we are, is John, 15, John 13, sorry, verses 34, 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everybody will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is the measure. This is the baseline for how people will know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we actually love one another. And I think Kate sharing about River Kids and some some of the people that have been a part of River Kids and River Youth and the way that they've expressed that love in their school community is but one example. And Norella she opened up, inviting parents to not see the kid, not for any of us as a community, to see kids as a distraction, but to actually journey together, recognising that season of life, that kids are a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. And this is a different season. It's a challenging season when we're raising kids and teaching them what it is to have respect and to show attention and um, to be mindful of the people around them and to be attentive to what um, is being done in a room full of people and what the Lord might be doing to actually teach them and train them and equip them is actually an example of the way that we love one another. Acts chapter 6, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 6, 
Uh, and I'm actually, I wasn't going to read all of it, but as I spent more time with it this week, I was like, we're going to read all of it because it's so, so good. It will be on screen. It's in the version Bible app. So to give you a bit of a, bit, uh, a background, a bit of a background, this is not long after, maybe a year after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so the early church is starting to thrive, it's starting to grow. They've had some conflict. The apostles have been arrested and then let out of jail in the previous chapter. So it's around about the same time and not long after. And the church is continuing to thrive and grow maybe because of or in spite of the persecution that they're suffering. And so more and more people are joining the ranks. And as most of us would be aware, the more people you have in a group, the more problems have to be solved in terms of how you keep that group together, how you just do life together. And so this is where we find the early church and the apostles as we read into uh, Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's a prioritizing that's taking place. As the community starts to grow and they need to meet the different needs of the people that are in that community, there's a priority taking place um, amongst the church leadership about who will do what. This proposal, verse 5, pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip... Procurus, Nicomor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They didn't get them, they just get their names. They get no other description. It's only Stephen that gets a mention, the description. They presented their men to the apostles, these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 8, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Here's one of the practical reasons that I love this passage, and Stephen will kind of get to him a bit more, is it highlights um, a practical measure of the church at work and how there needs to be, I know I've used the word prioritise a number of times and I probably will continue to use it, there needs to be a prioritising of the work of the church and who does what, and a leadership, healthy leadership structure will help make that happen, but it doesn't necessarily um, elevate one need above the other. Or say, all right, well, this is more important than that. It can actually say, well, this is important, and this is important, but this group of people actually need to give attention to this ministry, while this, group, this ministry, just as important, will be overseen by this group of people. It doesn't say this group of people is more or less important than this group of people. And sometimes I think we can actually look, we can look at a ministry or a, a ministry leader and think, oh, they're more important. They're doing a more important work. They're, doing, they're better than these people just because of the way that we actually rate the various ministries in our own mind. And that might not fit for you. I think that it has happened. So I just want to say we need to be mindful that we don't fall into that trap. 
And here's why. Here's why this is so important. The apostles saw the need. So there was, because there were so many cultures coming together, and you have the, uh, the Greek Jews and the Hebraic Jews coming together, and maybe some commentators suggest because, just because of um, a language barrier that the Grecian Jews were missing out on um, their widows being cared for and supplied on a regular basis. So their needs weren't being met. The apostles in their wisdom and say, all right, we need to prioritize the work of prayer and the word. They saw that as underpinning the growth of the church, what they were there to do. So they said, we need to be continually devoted to this. That doesn't negate the need for basically the hospitality ministry. And they don't just choose anybody. They don't look around and go, oh, um, those seven back there, they're not doing anything. Wake up, you've got a job. Here's what they look for. Verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Like this is just really kind of stuck in my head in terms of how we do discipleship and how we do leadership as a church community. Because we're not just looking for anybody who's looking for something to do. Let's look for people who are full of the spirit and wisdom, whether that's for the hospitality, whether that's for children's ministry, whether that's for youth ministry, whatever the ministry might be, let's look for people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And so they choose Stephen, uh, seven, and Stephen is the one that rates a description, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have an MBA. He doesn't have runs on the board in any kind of leadership school. He hasn't read the 22 irrefutable laws of leadership. He hasn't signed up to the latest leadership course or the latest email subscription telling him how to become a better leader in 21 days. None of that. He's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And not because he's going to be joining the 12. They're not turning into a 13. He's not going to be an apostle. What's he going to do? Wait tables. Hospitality for the widows. An important ministry that's different to the ministry of the word and prayer and the leadership and the oversight of the church that they prioritize so much that they say, let's look for people obviously full of the Holy Spirit before they even get to this conversation. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 8 again. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace. Every time he gets described, it's a different description. First of all, they look for people full of spirit and wisdom then Stephen's described as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And now he's full of God's grace and power. Stephen did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. The guy's a legend. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. My point is, it doesn't matter whether you are assigned as the chief toilet cleaner or you are assigned as the senior pastor or the associate pastor, bless him and pray for him, or the elders or the crafty friends leader or the creche leader or the car park attendant. None of those preclude you and maybe... 
we should have a greater emphasis on choosing people who are obviously full of the spirit and wisdom. I'm not saying that we haven't done that, but let's keep that in the forefront of our minds moving forward, that these people should be full of the spirit and wisdom and continue to move in signs and wonders. It wasn't just that Stephen said, all right, well, I've been awesome so far, and obviously he's moved in signs and wonders up to this point because they've seen it displayed, and then he gets into the ministry of waiting on the tables and caring for the widows, and then he says, well, I don't need to continue in that anymore. He actually brings all of that. He says, oh, okay, full of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to continue in this ministry and continue to move in signs and wonders, healings, and miracles. He actually brings all of that into this. And I think sometimes we run the risk of going, okay, this is a new position or this isn't where I want to be or this isn't what I want to be doing or I should be doing something else somewhere else, somehow else. And we actually neglect to bring the, the fullness of who we are and all that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us into where God has placed us in this moment. They couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded, verse 11, some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Remember, they're the religious kind of overseers of uh, the Jewish temples at the time. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. I've read all that to get to verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Can you see why Stephen is my hero? Like the guy's waiting tables and he's full of faith and wisdom and the Holy Spirit and he moves in signs and wonders. And even when he's confronted with his absolute hatred and lies from people who want to tear them down and stop the church from growing, they look at him and he's got the face of an angel. Now, some of you might not describe me as having the face of an angel. I'm okay with that. But imagine if we face trial and suffering and persecution and we, say, we, we face rebuke or there's so many things that seem to be coming against the church in government decisions and rules and regulations that we're facing. And then when we have conversations about it in the wider world, not only would people know that we are the disciples of Jesus by the way that we love one another, but people would actually look at us and we'd be so full of faith and wisdom and the Holy Spirit that our faces would shine like an angel. No matter whether we're cleaning toilets, waiting tables, on the church leadership team, looking after kids at home, getting into our older years, driving a truck, keeping a farm, worried about where our next income is going to come from, no matter where we might be in life, in the mix of all of that, that we would actually devote ourselves to serving the Lord, come what may. And the world around us would know that we're disciples because of the way that we love one another and our faces would just radiate his goodness. 
I don't, I don't have, I'm, I'm not a long-term thinker. Simon's awesome at it. He, he's 10 years ahead, hands down. Scares me. I'm tomorrow. It's, it's as good as it gets. My, my life plan, I've talked before about the fact that I want to live till I'm 100. That's my goal. Some people are like, dear Lord, no. Some people who are older and further ahead than me have said, why do you want to live that long? I'm further ahead than you. You don't want to live that long. I'm like, I reserve the right to change my mind. No, but I want to, I want to meet my great-grandkids. All right? It's okay. This is not news to them. This is not news to them. My, my life goal, apart from the age and apart from the conversations around, my life plan is Jesus. Is Jesus. And out of my relationship with him comes everything else in my life. How I, how, who I am when it's just me and him. Who I am when it's me and my wife. Who I am when it's me and my family. Who I am when I'm leading the church. Who I am when I'm out in the community. When whether or not people know that I'm a part of the church and thanks to YouTube, people know that I'm a part of the church or they just think that I'm Simon, so I'll just go along with it because it's fun. <laughs> Jesus is the one that informs who I am in every one of those expressions. Because my hope in every single one of those, whether I'm with my wife, whether I'm with my family, whether I'm with you as the church community, whether I'm out in the community, my hope is people wouldn't necessarily... All right, they're going to get me. I can't do anything about that. But my hope and my prayer when people meet with me is that they get Jesus. That's why I love Stephen so much. The guy is being lied about to his face, accused of things that he has not done, heading towards his death. If you read through 7 and 8, he gives this brilliant history. Stephen gives this brilliant history of basically biblical history in a nutshell in Acts chapter 7. And just basically proves his accusers wrong. And then we get to the end of chapter 7. And the, uh, I don't have this up here, there. Um, the elders and the leaders of the church, when they'd heard everything that he'd said about them and he had some accusations against them as well, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, still full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you know the default position for Jesus when he gets to heaven? The, the, um, what it says at the end of the Gospel of Mark? Jesus goes to heaven and sits down at the right hand of God. And here is Stephen. I said Jesus, didn't I? Yeah. And here is Stephen facing his accusers. And he says, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Here is a man so full of faith and wisdom and the Holy Spirit that Jesus is on his feet watching. This is my hope. Not only that I would be 
some, I don't know where the line comes from. I want to be famous in heaven and feared in hell. And I would add to that, I used to want to be famous for Jesus, whatever. Like, that just sounds like a whole lot of hard work right now. My hope, my prayer, is that I would be famous in heaven and feared in hell and known in the community around me for the way that I know Jesus. Does that make sense? Like, if you interact with me and you just get me, I'm sorry. But if you interact with me and you get Jesus, oh, we're cooking with gas. I am... We went to Bethel 2015, 2016. I've had the privilege, I would say it's an absolute privilege to sit in a few meetings with Bill Johnson, who oversees, who's the senior leader of Bethel Church. And I know some people in this room, not fans of Bethel, have some issues with it. That, like, that's okay. We can have that conversation. You've got some issues with Bill Johnson. That's okay too. I can tell you, I've sat in a meeting with Bill Johnson. And one of my things with Bill Johnson is that every time I come away from a conversation with him, I'm more attracted to Jesus. And I can't think of anybody else that's had that impact on my life. Like, he is so drawn to Jesus, he actually draws other people to Jesus. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, please let that be me. Not that I want to be like Bill Johnson, but I just want to be more like you. I want to be soaked so much in your presence, Jesus. I want to lead from your presence. I want to follow you in every area of life so that people would actually encounter you through my life. How awesome would it be that whether we're, and not only in the church, Stephen's talking about, uh, Stephen's encounter is um, caring for the widows in the practical needs on a daily basis. They used to do daily um, food packages for the widows that would be... um, I can't remember what they are now, rice, uh, beans and bread and some other things and fruit. And then on a, on a, re- on a weekly basis, they would provide um, food, uh, clothing and blankets. And so Stephen oversees this ministry. How good would it be if we go about every aspect of our daily lives, whether we're serving on a church roster or we're serving in the community or we're walking the street or we're going through the checkout and we would actually just overflow the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ himself. I've heard stories this week of Christianity, of the church getting a bad name because of the way that somebody who confesses and professes to be a follower of Jesus actually rubbishes people around them. And so these people who aren't a part of the church look at that person and say, well, I've seen what the church is like. I don't really like it. It doesn't seem that different. And it breaks my heart because that's not actually who we're called to be or what we're called to be like. Stephen, at the end of his um, life, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They drag him out of the city and begin to stone him. And Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And then he fell on his knees and cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I'm not sure that's the way that I always pray when people offend or upset me. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted just reading this account of Stephen's life again. And when he said this, he fell asleep because the early church knew that people didn't die when they were followers of Jesus. They were just falling asleep, waiting for the time that they would be risen, they would be awake again when Jesus came back. And from that point, persecution against the church, on that day it actually says, that same day that Stephen dies, a great persecution, I'm sorry, it's not up there, but a great persecution broke out against the church and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. It's not much of a salary package if we're looking for church leaders, is it? Be like, here's your ID badge, here's your key, here's your superannuation, and look out for the persecution. But this is what can come against any one of us for being a follower of Jesus. And the way through it isn't to actually water down the gospel. The way through it isn't to actually shrink back from declaring who we are or what we're like, depending on the circumstance and who we're with. The way through it is actually to remain full of the Holy Spirit and faith and wisdom and to walk in his ways, come what may. And I... I try not to use the expression back in my day because I'm old enough to use that now. I think I used it once this week and one of my kids had a go at me. I just throw it in for good measure. I feel like our kids have it harder now than they did when I was a kid. I feel like they face more battles, more hardships, more lies and subtle untruths than I ever did as a kid. Like, the world is messed up. The world is messed up. And so I don't want to raise my children. We don't want to be a family that just goes, oh, it's all too hard. We'll just stay back here by ourselves and won't let anybody know that we're a follower of Jesus. I really want, as Kate's talked about and as Narelle's talked about, I really want to bolster our family to be full of faith and wisdom in the Holy Spirit. So come what may, they can actually declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so no matter what, whatever comes at us, maybe, just maybe, our faces might shine bright like an angel. And people will look at us and go, they've been with Jesus. And we could actually share the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's about halfway through my message, but that will do. I've obviously got more than we need for this morning. Let's stand together as a church.
If you're here today, and as Kate said, she was seven and she was just disgusted that somebody hadn't told her about the good news of Jesus Christ by the time that she was seven. If you're here today and you don't know the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God loved you, the entire world, so much that he sent his one and only son so that if you would dare to believe in him, if you would put your faith and trust in him and receive him as Lord and Savior, you will never perish, but you would have everlasting life. And so I just want to invite you, as the band's going to come up and lead us in another song to wrap up today. And if that's you, if you, don't have, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't said, yes, I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of my sins, yes, I, uh, Lord and Savior of my life, and I repent of all my sins. I just want to invite you as we wrap up today, you can come down the front and you can share that with me. And I just want to lead you into the goodness that God has to offer you. How about right where you are? I just want you to extend your hands, close your eyes. And I just want to pray a prayer that we would all receive blessing and wisdom. Father, what you've done before, would you do it again? Would you fill us with your spirit as Stephen was filled with, his, with your spirit? Lord, not that we would be like Stephen necessarily, but they would be more fully alive in who you are and what you're like. Strengthen us, Lord. Bolster us as your disciples, as sons and daughters of the living God, to not be swayed by public persecution or opinion or even the lies that people might throw our way. Lord Jesus, invite us into your presence. You already have. Help us to come into your presence, to get alone with you in the secret place that we would, be, we would radiate your goodness every day of our lives. Not that we would be better than anybody else, but that everyone around us would know you as Lord and Saviour. Jesus, we love you. And there is no one like you. We say yes to you and all that you want to do.